professional podcasters <laughs> and towards being towards that actually uh hey uh i know this i know this might be a patreon episode but who knows we might unlock it in the future um if anyone wants to join the patreon uh we'd love to have you we got discord we got extra episodes um we're, we're on tiktok a- now uh, michael we- is is the classic 35 year old man on tiktok <laughs> yeah he's he's doing his little dances uh <laughs> Uh, There's got to be more TikTok, TikTok than that, but I, yeah, but I don't but, know anything about it, and I refuse to learn. I don't want to mention the TikTok. Yeah, it's kind of it's, embarrassing. It's but. embarrassing. Yeah. So, um, dear patrons, uh, one of your number, one DJ Highland and I, William, uh, went to went on a fact-finding mission on Saturday to Stuttgart, which is where our beloved Hegel was born. Foreign foreign correspondence. Yeah. We met at the train station. I had a lovely train ride, by the way. This was uh, DJ Howland's Make a Wish. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and once a year, we take a page. Next, next year, we'll go to um, Ljubljana or something. Yeah. Um, and the first thing we did was went to the Hegel house, where Hegel was born and lived, cool. I think, until he was a teenager, until he went to university, maybe, until he went to theology school, I want to say. Um, We'll say that. We'll go yeah. with that. The house is in kind of average neighborhood, average German weirdo neighborhood. Weird <laughs> buildings around. Weird Germans around. We, yeah, so we go in and this very, very nice German dude, very strange guy actually, was there. The only guy there. And he, uh, he gave us a bit of a sob story about how no one wanted to go to the Hegel house. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of like young American tourists flocking to Stuttgart to see Hegel House is hilarious. And uh, yeah, so um, the first thing in the Hegel House is a very strange video exhibition where they interview prominent Stuttgarters <laughs> about Hegel. And the first one was the mayor. And for some reason, okay, so it starts and there's like, there's like a younger woman and a, an older guy and they're, and they're kind of they're well dressed and they're kind of they're kind of rapping with the kids. They're like, "Why is Hegel relevant? Isn't he an old, boring, stuffy philosopher?" <laughs> and they're like, "Enjoy this video exhibit." And then, for some reason, you can you can control the exhibit with your arms. Like there's a <laughs> kind of movement, like a kind of Wii thing, where you can move your arms and select the video. I think they couldn't really come up with anything better to put in the museum than this. <laughs> and we stayed there just for a minute uh, and then quickly lost interest and went upstairs. And there was some cool stuff up there. They had handwritten manuscripts. There was one for the logic, which was, which was pretty interesting. Nice. Um, they did commit the cardinal sin. They had these boards on the wall. And one of them was like Hegel's famous dialectical method of thesis, <laughs> antithesis, synthesis. I pointed this out His to you. His own home. They did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I pointed this out to you. Highland and he and he was like, Go Jeff. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, other than that, there was just kind of there was just some, oh yeah, I forgot one thing. There actually they had a 
had Zizek talking in one of these videos. And cool. like Trump, when Trump reads from uh, a script, he has a serious voice on. Yeah. And yeah. Zizek also had a serious voice on. <laughs> he was very visibly reading from a pre-prepared statement. He wasn't he he wasn't um, looking at the audience. Let's say he, his public presentation skills, I thought, were a little bit lacking. But you know, that's uh-huh. neither here nor there. So yeah, the other stuff was like it was it was very boring. I mean, it was a it was boring. It was a <laughs> very uninteresting kind of bad museum. Worse uh, we than were, Marx's house. Uh. Less confusing than Marx's house. <laughs> well, wasn't there a wall on Marx's house where, like, it's also trying to make it like cool for the kids of like graffiti and like, dude, that was everything in the, everything that was written in the Marx house was written in graffiti for some reason. <laughs> uh, it kind of reminds me of when we saw the like Galileo Museum in uh, no Da Vinci. Florence. Oh yeah, the Da Vinci Museum in Florence, and there was like nothing in the museum Da Vinci like ever touched in his entire life. It was yeah, all just like bad recreations of of some of the shitty drawings that he made <laughs> it's like hey man that's not actually what a helicopter looks like we were leaving and um i remarked to the guy there that that i was surprised that there wasn't a gift shop because i was ready to buy my hegel tote yeah no tote no tote shame not even a gift not even a postcard what did he what did he say i have to say for himself I told him that they had one of the marks house i thought he'd get a chuckle out of that but he was like yeah well you know there would be no marks without hegel <laughs> <laughs> um, one of our youtuber comments wondered how somebody wears a tote bag uh, like, this is easy you uh put it around your neck and it just <laughs> hangs in front of you <laughs> so yeah that was that was that um it was cool you know it's cool to be where hegel lived i mean that was the best yeah, part it's of cool. it, obviously yeah but it was nice it was really nice to hang out with highland he's a great guy and yeah that was that rode the train home um, well, thanks for listening. And, yeah, uh, I was going to say, yeah, and see you guys later. Good talking. Uh, oh, another update. Uh, instead of being Australian and Canadians doing this podcast, we decided that it's less embarrassing for it to be a New Zealander and some Americans doing a podcast. So from from now on, that's that's who's doing this. Australians don't have the best relationship with New Zealanders. I know. I know that. It's kind of like the Canadian-American thing. Yeah. Like I think the I think the uh, Australians are the Americans and the New Zealanders are the Canadians. Yeah, this is true. They think so. Like the <laughs> Australians think that the New Zealanders talk funny, which is a deep irony. <laughs> yeah, I mean they do. They call eskies ch- chili bins. I, I don't know. I don't know either one of those things are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like you're a beer cooler. No one uses those. Esky. We do use eskies. Okay, I saw that. I saw that there. It makes sense because it's like fifty degrees or whatever. Pretty much. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So um, today we're talking about Hegel's concept of the beautiful soul, and it's something that comes up sometimes in Gjek's work. Um, he mentions it. He mentions it. I think that is it. Does do you think Todd mentions it more than Gjek does, or is it not so important to Todd? I searched through emancipation after hegel and it it's not in there i yeah i did the same thing and then i searched tits and dick and also something (laughs) and nothing Nothing. but i bet if you search for cake you'd find something there's something about desiring cake he's got a thing for cake i guess because he's a runner and and it's like i mean you could imagine him in lycra with his little skull cap i don't have to imagine i know he looks like he wears that he wears that damn thing all the time (laughs) (laughs) 
with that shit eating grin. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, beautiful soul. Um, I like this idea because it, I think, captures a type of, or in Hegel's words, form of consciousness that is kind of hard to pin down without the language for it. And then when it gets pointed out, you, you really do recognize it mm-hmm. like everywhere. Yeah. And so we were, we read some of um, the, the most sublime hysteric. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. Which is Zizek's thesis, second PhD thesis that he wrote. Yeah. Second in Paris. PhD. Yeah. And Jacques Alain Millet. Mm-hmm. Who I don't think, okay. Jacqueline, so I've heard that Zizek, um, was go- undergoing analysis at the time with Jacqueline Miller. Yeah. And- with your with your PhD advisor. Interesting. It's an interesting <laughs> dynamic. Yeah. Apparently he used it basically just as a chance to um show off a little bit and to work over ideas with with him. Yeah, he kept trying to like thwart analysis by presenting, you know, a series of different symptoms and being like, Am I obsessional? Am I hysteric? Whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and this became Sublime Object. I think, yeah, I think the ideas were worked into that book, yeah. maybe. Yeah. But then the book I, was was pub, was republished or published for the first time, actually, in 2014. So it's a funny book because it's pre-Sublime Object, but it comes out fairly late in his career. Yeah. But I found when I was reading it, it, it didn't feel like it was, you know, undercooked or something. It, fe- no, it, it felt like a fully fledged Zizek book. It's actually really clear. Yeah. The sections I've read, I ordered it because <laughs> it's got a fucking awful uh, cover. It has the large it's Hadron terrible. Collider what for some reason. Yeah. yeah, I thought Hadron Collider and someone else said it's a library, but it's like a spiraling staircase. Oh, it's not the Hadron, Hadron Collider? Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought it was like a ceiling, but either way, it's kind of dumb. It's gross. Well, maybe and it's kind of uh, cool now that, I, that, we, that we all thought it was different things. The font is disgusting. Yeah, not the best looking book. But he's, he has a section that on, on The Beautiful Soul, and he begins it by noting that it comes out of... Kantian Kant, ethics. Kantian ethics, yeah. And, I mean, without going too far into it, not that we could, but Kant's, Kant's you know, f- famous um, categorical imperative and uh, his categorical obligation to do one's duty, such that if a subject acts, they act in, in, they act in such a way that the act could be universalized, right? Yeah, and, and also that... that the Kantian ethic is caught between, like the subject is caught between like natural cause and free action. Yeah. And that there's always this dynamic between the two. And he has that, that, that example where if someone comes to, okay, someone is, a man is hiding another man in his house and, and, and someone else comes with the intent to murder this man that he's hiding. And Kant says that it is, that it is the obligation of the man who's hiding him to tell the person who's come to murder him, that he's hiding this person in his house. Because, because the obligation to duty is such that you, sh- uh, you should not lie, I guess, or you should, mm-hmm. right? I mean, is this, yeah. They also, they found out recently who ratted uh, Anne Frank out, that the ethical person who ratted her out. Yeah. Who was the rat? He's a German guy, or sorry, Jewish guy. Yeah, but I did hear that, I mean, like, it's not a simple, I mean, like, in a way, it kind of doesn't matter who ratted her out because the situation was that the Nazis would have killed him and his family. And by ratting out the Franks, he presumably might have dodged that fate for his family. But the real, the real crime, right, is that 
the Nazis were killing Jews. Um, and Anne Frank never, never lived to become a Justin Bieber fan. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just for, just so everyone knows. Uh, uh, I think when Justin Bieber was in Amsterdam, he said that Anne Frank would have been a, be- a believer. That's bizarre. <laughs> yeah. I mean, chances are she could have easily done. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, and there's the the kind of classic impasse, uh, irreducible impasse of of Kant's system, right, between the truly free universal action and the and be kind of being caught in the phenomenal world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, the link the link between that and the beautiful soul. Well, Zizek points out that. A purely moral act in the Kantian sense is actually impossible because mm-hmm. I'm quoting here. He says, man never acts from duty alone. His pathological, his pathological urges always interfere. Right. And that is, of course, like one of the lessons of psychoanalysis. So, the, yeah, there's the there's the subjects like individual patho- uh, pathological urges, but also like duties conflict. Right. Like like there could be a duty to a city which might conflict to a duty with one's family you know these sorts of things yeah so you had one duty over another exactly it reminds me of the of in existentialism as a humanism where sartre outlines the dilemma of the young man who's caught between joining the resistance or not joining the resistance and if he joins the resistance then his then it's very likely that his family will be killed um and if he doesn't join the resistance then he's in his mind um, a coward, consent, yeah, a coward, and and consenting to the to the occupation of of France by the Nazis. And what does Sartre say about that? Do you remember? Neither one is correct. He mm-hmm. has to make his choice. Yeah, the freedom acts in his in how he he subjectively relates to the objective conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this notion of a of a purely moral act being impossible. I mean, I think that the point, and I've heard Todd's Todd and Ryan talk about this on their podcast. That the point is that. In the world, in 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 the world, occupying a purely moral position is impossible because to do anything you have to dirty your hands, and this is this is where Hegel takes this up. I think this this feeling that to act is to commit a kind of a kind of original sin. Zizek talks about that, and and also something that Zizek says, you know, and this is something that 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 you regularly hear in this world is that to to make an omelet you have to break a few eggs. To act in the in the messy world, you have to dirty your clothes. You have to dirty your hands. And an act in which, an act towards maybe a, a change in the moral system or a change in the political system, is a crime within the framework of the previous one. Yeah. So, like yeah. in the dilemma of the of the potential resistance fighter, like say he does join the resistance, and his family is killed. I mean. That is obviously a tragedy, but it, was it immoral for him to join the resistance? I don't think you could say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this, oh. this is Zizek's thing. He's like, what kind of omelet are you making with broken eggs? Right, yeah. Uh, but I don't want to make an omelet. <laughs> but I, I don't want to make an omelet. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to be a pirate. <laughs> I saw that in something. Someone was like, can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. And the other guy was like, I don't want to make an omelet. <laughs> Enjoy the music for a minute. If the cutting system, if, if the subject were able to act uh, as Kant is suggesting, 
like universally. If that is so, this the subject would be kind of like an organic, harmonious element, like at kind of at one with the external world. Mm-hmm. Um, in doing his duty, he's not a he's not obeying an authority outside of himself, but rather the law of his heart. Exactly. Um, yeah. And and uh, in accordance to his to his free and kind of pure nature. Yeah, arrive, arising from the sympathetic law of his own heart. Right. Which seems somewhat at odds with. Kant's definition of the subject, I feel like, as being kind of the, this radically uh, kind of opposed to uh, nature. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this is like, I think this is basically a, a romantic uh, articulation mm-hmm. of, of the subject in relation to the world, right? That the, yeah. the subject yeah. themselves is the kind of measure of, of a law like morality, but also in like, in, in its experience of the of nature, for instance, the emphasis is on the feeling generated in in the person experiencing it. Mm-hmm. So it's this yeah. kind of aesthetic relation to it. Yeah, there's the sublime experience. Yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that's why Hegel saw the romantics as partially completing the development of subjective idealism mm-hmm. and the creation of a social space that allowed those contradictions to appear. Because you right. have the philosophers of the post-revolutionary period self-consciously formulating the principle of a modern world on being a principle of self-determination, like how are you to create a community or bond in line with absolute freedom, which preserves an individual's own freedom. That's interesting because there is also the romantic Hegel, right? The idea of Hegel, like the kind of joining of, of the particular and the, and the universal in an artistic moment, right? Mm. Yeah, it's hard, right? Because the position of the beautiful soul seems to assume a position of meta language, like outside of the fray, not yeah, getting well, its hands dirty. You were saying, yeah, right? yeah. So, should we get into the beautiful soul then? Or wait, just tie it up with uh, that last quote, which which transfers into what you just said, Michael. So he says, "But here again, the schism reemerges. This time between the formal aspects of the act and its contents." In the form, the subject aims at universality. He posits his conviction as universal while awaiting recognition from the social world. He knows that the act in itself does not have any effectivity. He knows that effectivity only comes from the recognition of others, through general opinion, in other words, through its inscription into a network of symbols. Mm-hmm. And if you want to hear that from, in Hegel's words, in the Beautiful Soul section, he says, the action is thus only the translation of its individual content into the objective element in which it is universal and recognized. And it is just the fact that it is recognized that makes a, the deed a reality. So we're pointing from the Kantian description that we just kind of discussed towards what Hegel is going to describe as the beautiful soul. There's, there's something about trying to join one's own relationship with the world uh, to a, to a universal yeah. outside of themselves. Yeah. That network of symbols. Exactly. One's own moral vision of the world to a universal notion of morality. Mm-hmm. And I think that the feeling is that whether whatever you feel is right, and this is in today's, I think in today's parlance, it's like your own truth. Like your authentic self sort yeah. of thing. So like yeah, if there's like if, if, there's if you're like pure, self- if you're pure enough of heart, if you if you have arrived at your own truth, then that's kind of good enough. Yeah, affirm my lived experience. Exactly, yeah. There's a kind of demand for others to participate in your own subjective 
understanding of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's like one of the problematic parts of talking about race or sex, gender, et cetera, where you'll have um, groups of people will be like, you can't talk on this. You're not gay. Mm-hmm. You're not whatever. Mm-hmm. Which, which I think is the, I mean, Hegel, Hegel points out that that's kind of like trying to universalize the particular rather than mm-hmm. recognizing that's that substance acts as subject. It's, yeah, the, it's the, it's the wrong particular way around of the universal, exactly. as might, he might say in the phenomenology. Mm-hmm. So he says where he starts, where Zizek starts discussing beautiful soul, he says, as Hegel says, only the rock is innocent. As soon as we act, we fall into sin. We impose the particular contents of our act as universal. It is in reaction to the necessity of sinful nature of the act that the beautiful soul emerges. Right. So there's, so there's a problem with that act of projection of, the, of one's own moral conviction. At um, odds and, with acting on it. Yeah. Yeah. And he points out that it necessarily depends on being registered in the, in the symbolic. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a gap necessarily that separates an act from the pure feeling of the law of the heart. Mm-hmm. And he says it's therefore decentered in relation to itself. It only becomes an act once it has been acknowledged as an act. And yet it needs the, af- it needs the affirmation of the outside, which it is projecting onto that outside. So it's, it's exactly. kind of caught within this, within this contradiction between needing to be legitimized by some outside order which it is nonetheless projecting out there. Exactly. Yeah. So now we arrive at beautiful soul proper, right? And I think it's worth noting that beautiful soul is, I think, you know, almost two thirds through, through the way, through, through the book, uh, Phenomenology of Spirit. And just in case anyone doesn't know, even though I'm sure everyone does, what Hegel is doing in this book is, is passing through, not necessarily um, like, progressive forms of consciousness but following through from the contradiction of one form of consciousness Mm. to its apparent resolution and then exposing the contradiction in that in the apparent synthesis or the the apparent antithesis rather um it's it's not a synthesis it's a it's a pushing of the contradiction further into another consciousness and then further into another consciousness Mm -hmm. so it has this as this i mean reading the book is amazing because there's a real motion to it. He constantly uses the word movement and comes on the stage. These, these motive words, these, this, this feeling that, that his thinking and that forms of consciousness necessarily kind of cycle and continue and progress. And, mm-hmm. and there's, I mean, that's what the dialectic is, right? And at any, any one moment, it might appear to be, like if you were to understand the beautiful soul without walking through its contradictions, it might appear as a kind of moral conclusion of Hegel. But what, yeah, but what Hegel is pointing out is that it's, as you just said, a moment. And like, it's like kind of close, right? But like, until he points out what's wrong with it, you might, you might be tricked into thinking like, oh, it's like there's some kind of joining of the particular and the universal here. Yeah, because like, oh, wouldn't it be good to be a beautiful soul? Wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. you want to be a beautiful soul? I mean, yeah. and in terms of our present like hegemonic ideology, as we kind of pointed to earlier, this is, I would say, probably the held as the, as the most moral possession these I would, days. I would, I would say so. And I think that, Beautiful Soul is perhaps the best articulation of, of the contemporary uh, liberal subject. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I got to say also the left, the leftist subject as well to, on a certain level. Well, I would include that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I would just say, yeah. the, I would just say the, the hegemonic, let's just say ideological subject of today. Yes. The, yeah. the ideolo- ideological subject par excellence. Perhaps bringing out the kind of liberal core of what many leftists 
are confused about in their own possession these days. Right, and this is what Zizek has a problem with, with uh, the Roberts, Pippin and Brandon, um, this, this notion that uh, the subject seeks uh, recognition and reconciliation, uh, and that's kind of the, the end result of, of, of Hegel's dialectic. Is to mm-hmm. is to mm-hmm. be is for the subject to in a sense kind of uh, they don't they don't say this but this is criticism is that it's it's liberal because it tries to I'm like I almost want to use Ryan's notion that like it tries to make an an all out of particulars rather than a universal mm-hmm. rather than a universal substance as if what we need what we need to kind of overcome contradiction is to is to just understand each other yeah exactly. For, for everyone to recognize everyone else's truth, right? Right. Go Sorry, we'll go. I, I was just going to say, if you want to pull out the contradictions, it's like, okay, everyone's truth? I mean, what about the truth of a Nazi? Mm-hmm. Like, surely it's not everyone's. Yeah, there's always, and Dijek's point is that there's always an exclusion, and that that exclusion is to be, is to be pointed to and, and it kind of is constitutive of, the, you know, that moral dynamic. And this is just everywhere. I mean, like, this perspective of, of like, one's truth as being, like, what is most necessary and like real is just like, it's hard to overemphasize the extent to which the beautiful soul permeates mm-hmm. the kind of present situation. But the criticism I think holds so well that for, for everyone in that kind of, in that kind of moral dyna- dynamic, no one wants to dirty their hands by either coming down on either side of a contentious debate, which mm-hmm. Zizek, not that he comes out on your side necessarily, but that, you know, in his words, pisses, that, pisses the right people off. But that like this feeling that you shouldn't get involved in something that will uh, designate you yeah. as an immoral subject. Well, we it. see we see like like the rich and powerful these days adopting the language of like my personal truth type shit. Yep. And like they're not wrong. They're right. They do have their own perspective. Yep. But the point of superseding that moral dynamic is to actually say that their perspective kind of doesn't matter. Exactly. Um, so yeah, speaking of this, like we're like moving towards talking about the beautiful soul. Zizek points out that in the beautiful soul's relation to the intersubjective network of relationships that must recognize it, right? It runs into there's a contradiction here because he says Zizek says that someone who cannot adapt to the exig- exigencies of banal reality, the entirety of this network is already its creation. The network cannot reproduce itself without the beautiful soul consenting to play this role. On some so, level, they've consented to the to the very world that they bemoan. Exactly. Yeah. So Which the is, classic I mean, is a brilliant point. It is brilliant, and there's nothing you could do to act on it because an act would um, disturb. Yeah, disturb that world. Exactly. So the beautiful Which, soul, the beautiful soul has has this sense that it occupies a pure point. Uh, somehow outside the messy reality, from which it sees the the uh, the vagaries of of banal reality and the crimes of humanity, whatever, um, and it judges it from uh, from a exempted position. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe which, just yeah. like a clear description. Yeah. The beautiful soul, from their standpoint, the world is out of joint, and beautiful soul knows what's wrong with the world. But thinks it, uh, can, thinks it knows what's wrong with the world, but doesn't do anything about it. And in fact, all they do is just say what's wrong with it. Yeah, because to do something would be 
to upset both its own position in the world and the world that it is kind of uh, laid out for itself as as the thing that it that it is against or that it occupies a pure yeah. relationship to. So Zizek writes, um, instead of acting, it talks. It expresses profound convictions that deplore the sad state of the world and its injustices. It does not want to get its hands dirty. It wants at all costs to keep a distance between itself and the prosaic world. Yeah. Perfect. Beautiful Soul is a tender, asceticized soul, too refined for the banality of the social world. And, you know, even though this is, I think, arguably the, the hegemonic position, we all know people who, who truly occupy this position. And nothing is so obnoxious as a person who thinks that they're pure, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Think, I mean, thinking of that, like, and, and, and the liberal subject, like, the liberal subject, let's say in America, knows that, according to them, knows that America is a racist society, knows that America is an unjust society, an unfair society. And uh, instead of actually doing anything about it, they think that knowing about it is to be political in the know and to be uh, awoken. I mean, there's this whole shit about woke here you could talk about, but that's kind of boring to talk about. But like, yeah, you're uh, what comes to mind is the Bob Dylan line. You're very well read. It's well known. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, to live and outside so- the law, you must be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so there's something happening here, but you don't know what it is. <laughs> That'd be an interesting song to talk about sometime. Yeah. So this is, this is a nice little summary of it by Borna Radnick. So this is from the Against the Double Blackmail, Refugees, Terror, and Other Trouble with the Neighbours. Mm-hmm. Uh, Borna Radnick in a review of it is saying, Zizek's rejection of the ideology which frames the refugee crisis in moral language follows Hegel's criticism of the beautiful soul, which feels superior to the corrupted world while secretly participating in it. They need this corrupted world as the only terrain where they can exert their moral superiority. These beautiful souls are those on the left, both mainstream and not, who advocate that Europe ought to open its borders and allow the refugees to enter. According to Zizek, this will never happen, and he claims that those who advocate for open borders know it will never truly happen since it would trigger a massive popular anti-refugee uprising. Those who advocate this, therefore, merely do so out of moral self-importance. Right. Of not wanting to be spoiled by the question. Right. But, yeah, in, in, in Hegel's, like, as he's moving towards articulating the beautiful soul, he talks about two prior forms of consciousness that that go into the beautiful soul uh one is the legal person he says um quoting here he says the totality or actuality which shows itself to be the truth of the ethical world itself consists in being acknowledged by others which we i think that's what we just talked about with recognition and then the second self is the world of culture which has attained its truth or it is spirit that has recovered itself from its dividedness which i think you could say is the the lack of recognition of well lack and contradiction and he goes further to say that in this self that first immediate unity of individuality and the universality is sundered the universal which all the same remains purely as purely spiritual entity is object and content of the self and its universal reality but it does not have the form of existence free from the self it obtains no feeling no positive content no world Hmm. But it thinks that because it feels a certain way 
And because I think in, in Hegel's terms, it has confused its, its immediate unity of individuality for the universal. It's, yeah, and like, it's in a sense kind of join them together. And then it behaves as if that its own existence is free from that external condition, which it nonetheless creates. Um, but he points out that like that does not give access to, I mean, the way that he puts it is really interesting. No filling, no positive content, no world. Even though it, it proceeds as if the content of its character, of its, of the content of its heart, the law of its heart is the world. Does that make any sense? Yeah, like it's, yeah, no, it is, it's enough to feel bad for like refugees or homeless yeah. people because feeling bad about it actually changes the situation. Exactly. In this, in this right. Situation. There's one more quote here. The beautiful soul presents itself as describing the sad state of the world as if it was excluded from it, as if it was observing from an objective distance. We could say from the distance of a meta language. That's what Zizek points out. And as Lacan points out, bang and point. Yeah. As everyone else points out, there is no meta language. Yeah. I think that maybe the best point in this in this whole thing from Zizek is that it imagines you can you can step outside. Yeah, like there's a, I was just thinking about this meta language question with a, I saw a meme recently that was like, uh, it's two pictures of the world from, you know, like a, like photo, photographs of the world. And it says the world before and after your opinion. Right. But then it's like, okay, but where, where is the position that's looking at the world from that, from that? <laughs> yeah. 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 Good point. I like that. Yeah. Cause Todd has one about like looking at the Milky Way and it's like, from what position is that vantage? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it's the like impossible the, position. Yeah. yeah. The Earthrise, the first photograph from the moon, right? Like that's that's Earth from the perspective of someone on the moon. It's not it's not Earth as it exists, just like exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, the you know, it reminds me of one of my favorite Zizek quotes is uh space is literally the most stupid thing there is. <laughs> <laughs> that's just it, you know. It's, it's stupid, it's meaningless. I don't care yeah. about it. I'm indifferent to it. Yep. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah. You know, the universe is indifferent to you. And it's like, well, I'm indifferent to the universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the abyss doesn't stare back or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's yeah. really being said in something, a sentiment like that is the other person saying, I don't care what you're saying. I would care yeah. about your perspective. Like they're occupying this beautiful soul possession because like they're trying to imagine that their disagreement with you is somehow represented in the universe. Well, the, yeah, exactly. I mean, they're... Like their disagreement with you is the world as such viewed from an Archimedean point, right? Mm-hmm. My nice. my position is purely based on on facts and my feeling of being a moral good person. Yeah. So Zizek's response to this is, with regard to the refugees, our proper aim should be to try and reconstruct global society on such a basis that desperate refugees will no longer be forced to wander around. Utopian, as it may appear, This large-scale solution is the only realist one, and the display of altruistic virtues ultimately prevents the carrying out of this aim. Mm -hmm. The more we treat refugees as objects of humanitarian help and allow the situation which compelled them to leave their countries to prevail, the more they come to Europe until tensions reach boiling point, not only for the refugees' countries of origin, but here as well. So confronted with this double blackmail, we are back at the great Leninist question, what is to be done? Right. And one of the problems that you might say is like, okay, what is Zizek proposing there? Is he talking about interventionism, right? But the problem with American interventionism, let's say in Iraq, was very much this, this position of the beautiful soul, I think, at least taking it on the terms that they justified the invasion. Oh, uh, w- uh, Iraq is a deeply unequal society for women, they mm-hmm. said. Uh, oh, 
Saddam Hussein is a tyrant uh, and the people of Iraq are not free. It's like, okay, well, what is the position that you're saying that from, first of all? And if you're talking about actual intervention, then it's based on this notion that it extends from the feeling of a moral project that's based entirely on one's, on on the American or the American state's notion of its own purity and mm. uh, love of freedom or whatever. Yeah, like democracy as universal. Yeah, and like the situation in Ukraine right now is like like completely like elides the actual position of, of the Ukrainians themselves who have a much more complicated relationship with Russia than America would like to believe. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And also in the portrayal of it, it's, it's always, uh, what is Vladimir Putin planning? It's like, okay, well, what the fuck is the U.S. planning? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's always the I mean, psychology like- <laughs> of Putin himself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so, so we've covered uh, Hale House, a little bit of Kant, description of the beautiful soul. Zizek and then Zizek lands on on how the beautiful soul is overcome, according to Hegel at least. Yeah, and he's got he's got a uh, a pretty spicy discussion of the suffering mother. And to all the yeah, and to all the mothers to all the mothers out there, we're sorry for what, you're, for, for what you're about to hear. <laughs> sorry, thanks, think- mom. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, is it worth just reading the whole paragraph? Yeah, killer. Zizek says. Take the suffering mother, for example, the pillar of the family, who bears her torments calmly, who sacrifices herself in silence for the happiness of those around her. Being exploited, being the victim of her own family, isn't that her symptom that she loves more than herself? What is she afraid of? It is not being exploited too much, but that people would no longer be willing to accept her suffering. The flow of her complaint is nothing more than the inverted form of a demand addressed to her family to accept her sacrifice. In such a family, communication is perfect. By mercilessly exploiting the mother, the family members return the message to her, of her complaints to her in their inverted form, which is to say, in their effective meaning. This is the point that she would never want to give up. Giving up the point entails the loss of the consistency of one's me. It is the point where one hopelessly cries, I would not be willing to sacrifice everything except that. Everything except one's role as the victim. Everything except sacrifice itself. What the subject must effectuate in order to rid himself of this role as the beautiful soul is precisely such a sacrifice of the sacrifice. It is not enough to sacrifice everything. One still has to renounce the subjective economy in which sacrifice leads to narcissistic resonance. Yeah, so one enjoys their position of suffering. They define themselves through their suffering. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My status as a suffering mother is that I'm suffering. Yeah, your moans and groans are false since by means of them, you're only too well adapted to the reality of manipulation and exploitation. And of course, we can see how this describes the present ideological moment we're in, right? Because For sure. everyone is a victim. And they're unprepared or and completely unable to to give up that status as a victim because yeah. that would that would truly undermine their their subjective identity. And then if right. you, and, then, and then it might be according to the morality that it's it's uh, I then have to sacrifice everything because of this. Mm. And Jijek points out, well, it's like well, you're still gaining a kind of narcissistic response from the sacrifice itself. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, libidinal uh, satisfaction from moral outrage. Joe Rogan talking about the N-word. Um, 
Alenka Zapancic has a nice... I, refu- I refuse to have an, an opinion on Joe Rogan. That No, I, I do not give a shit about Joe Rogan, and I'm not, you're not going to make me care about Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan, is a co- <laughs> Joe, Joe Rogan is a colleague of mine as a podcaster, and I'm not going to speak ill of my colleagues. <laughs> well, actually, speaking yeah. of the What is the soul, beautiful soul position speak- with Joe Rogan? Is it the wide No, the, be- the beautiful soul is Neil Young's position, man. Beautiful yeah. soul. Oh. For, Neil Young is the beautiful soul. He is, absolutely. He does not recognize that his, first of all, being on the platform and being a successful musician, is implied by the whole, by the, by the platform itself and by the whole music industry itself. He thinks that because he objects morally to Joe Rogan, uh, things that Joe Rogan has said, that acting from that pure position, he can decide to. Uh, withdrawal from the impure space of mm-hmm. of Spotify and to recommend people use Amazon Music and Apple Music. Of course, not recognizing the fact that those are essentially the same thing, and that the problem is is that he cannot give up this view of himself as being a pure virtuous man. Right. Right. So very well put. Yeah, very well. Put. This is this is perfect now. So Zapanchich says. A beautiful soul sees evil and baseness all around it, but fails to see to what extent it participates in the perpetuation of the same order of things. The point, of course, is not that the world is really evil. The point is that we are part of this evil world. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Neil yeah. Young, like Neil Young is is the music industry and he can feel however he wants about that. But uh, it's, it's just incredibly ironic that his problem with Spotify wasn't that they don't pay anyone any money because, of course, because he he's getting worried about that. He's getting paid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's that someone said something he doesn't like. So if he had made if he had made a, a stand against Spotify on the grounds that Spotify uh, exploits the the labors of all the musicians that have to give their music to Spotify for free. That's why he created title though, right? He created that fucking like cone shaped MP3 player. Exactly. Just to have, like, <laughs> to, have to have to have like high music quality, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. High fidelity. Baby. This is this High is fidelity. the eternal vanishing mediator of Neil Young's enjoyment that he needs to possess the perfect <laughs> auto auto quality, which he will never attain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like in the office how they're they're trying to branch out into uh, personal devices and they make like uh, an iPad, but it's this it's a it's a triangle yeah. that, that like it just makes no fucking sense. No one would ever want to use that. Yeah. Uh, one more thing. Speaking of Neil Young and the Beautiful Soul, I mean, what is what is a better song for the Beautiful Soul than Heart of Gold? <laughs> I want to live. I want to give across the ocean for a heart of gold. I mean, it's all about soul. it's all about this romantic journey of of this search for the purity of gold. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's good. Well, I will say though, um, maybe what makes Old Man such a good song is that it that it it's about the uh realization wait it's like the parallax between the yeah. singer and the, the young old man. And the, the young and the old man that's such a good song Fuck, it's such a good song i mean no sh- like listen fucking love neil young okay love his music the, the greatest the greatest canadian artist and i, I say this say as so. an american <laughs> i say this as a new zealander <laughs> uh lord obviously all this no love for lord she's fine hmm. If it comes to New Zealander musicians, female musicians, well, musicians, uh, I'm not, I'm an all this hard. Feels maybe. Oh, um, there's so many good New Zealand. There's bands. so many good New Zealand bands. Uh, 
What? Who are Daddy's Flying Highway? Nun Records? Anything off of Flying Nun Records is the shit. Who's the Peter? Who's the yeah. band that wrote Daddy's Highway? It's uh, dude, oh, the Bats. The bats, man. Yeah, 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 bats. yeah. I love the Bats. Um, yeah, I, I, I got crazy into that jangly New Zealand yeah, good stuff. Shit. Yeah, like jangly, yeah, so jangly cool. new wave stuff. It's so cool. And all of the crazy, like culty tape recorder guys as well. There's so much cool shit there. Can you just send me some stuff. Yeah, I would love to hear. Join the Discord to hear Crackle Burr's four hour opus. Back to the. Congratulations. Congratulations to Crackle Burr on his album. Yeah, I actually I listened to it and I thought it was great. It had it had some very beautiful shimmering guitars going on. I thought that was nice. Um, he played all the instruments. Yeah, very impressive. very impressive. And thanks for sharing. Almost it. all the vocals. Okay, so in thinking about this this long suffering mother, the point isn't isn't that uh, moms be moms be acting crazy, but it it exposes something that there is a a kind of cycling back into itself of that position that demands a, a, a kind of way out, right? And yeah. Zizek says the way out is to, is to negate the negation, to negate the movement itself. That is, to not seek recognition of one's own suffering, but to negate the suffering. And you want attachment to it. Exactly. So a dual movement of this kind, he says, operates according to the logic of the negation of negation. The first sacrifice the one that permits the beautiful soul to find its imaginary consistency in renunciation itself functions as a simple negation. The second, the sacrifice of the sacrifice itself, the purification of the sacrifice, effectuates a certain kind of, the nega- of negation of the negation. The sacrifice of the sacrifice, the loss of the loss, and therefore far from being a simple return to full identity without, without loss, what it loses is its very foundation, the support that gave consistency to the loss the framework in which the loss took on a positive signification. So you have to negate the entire ground by which the beautiful soul determines themselves as a beautiful soul against the way of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because... I think you have, to, you have to recognize that there's not reconciliation to that because it is a kind of projection of that, of that position itself, but that you know, the, the reconciliation, uh, in a sense, kind of comes from reconciling to, to yourself to the negative as such, to negate your position which seeks to, um, I think, cover over that contradiction, really. Yeah, it's, um, it's like uh, in Sartre's book, Anti-Semite and Jew, where after covering the very clear uh, issues and wrongs of the anti-Semite's position, he moves to a description of what's wrong in the Jewish position in that dynamic, because the Jews, to use Lacanian or Zizekian uh, language, enjoy their situation in a certain sense as an outsider he doesn't he does he talk doesn't, about he that. doesn't get many points for that point but it's a very good point uh yeah yeah i agree actually i think you can say it in these terms because he likens it to the position of the french in the resistance mm-hmm. Sartre points out that the french uh in a sense kind of rely on their status as victims of nazi occupation but of course many of the french were were uh enthusiastic um supporters and uh uh collaborators co-conspirators and collaborators with the nazis Mm -hmm. so that in post uh you know in post-war france a lot of a lot of french reverted to the idea that oh well we were an occupied nation uh it was justifiable because on those grounds and uh it wasn't it wasn't my fault Mm -hmm. 
but then he, you know, he says that the recognition has to come that the French in that scenario work were, there was always a choice, even, even, even occupied countries still face the choice of how to respond to that occupation. And if you, and if you want to front on Sartre, uh, too bad, buddy. Sartre was a member of the resistance. And in fact, read Hegel while he was doing duty. And wrote Being in Nothingness. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fucking insane. He was, he was uh, fighting with the resistance, and Simone de Beauvoir wrote, or read Phenomenology of Spirit and wrote Start and was like, yo, you got to read this fucking book. And he read it while he was writing Being in Nothingness, and it shows. Sometime we should do an episode on Start. And I mean, I was talking with Highland about this actually. Uh, it's something that we've talked about. He said um, that a lot of a lot of our 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 guys are closet Sartreans. Yes, this is true. And and it it kind of, it's it's a bit ironic because a lot of our guys own Zizek as someone who isn't taken seriously, and are it's an attempt to redefine him as you know. In fact, Zizek is to be is to be taken seriously, but. There's still an uneasiness about taking Sartre seriously, even from those very people. Um, and it's actually in this text, I see Jijak do it a bit because yeah, I got to say, Sartre. I don't agree with what he wrote. No, I didn't agree with that either. Sartre. Where did he I say? It says, let us recall the old communist criticism of Sartre leveled during the debate surrounding existentialism. With this theory of the subject as pure being for itself, negativity, emptiness is freed from positive contents. Sartre certainly rejected all the bourgeois content, all the positive prejudices and limitations of bourgeois ideology. What was left over after the sacrifice of all content was precisely the pure, emptied form of the bourgeois subject. I'm sorry, isn't that Descartes? Well, this is the this is the isn't problem. That, isn't like, that the Marxist critique of Descartes as well? The very exactly, the very exactly, pure, empty, exactly. subjective form that Zizek is trying to reinvigorate. Sartre recognized him as well as recognized himself as defining the, the Cartesian subject. Which is why he, oh, I don't know, um, uh, didn't accept the Nobel Prize for, for writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, think you, I think you can see that as a rejection of the bourgeois subject. Absolutely. He's and also, also, he didn't teach at a university. I think, he, I think that, that is a certain rejection of uh, the, the propagation of the bourgeois subject in, in France, in French humanities. He didn't. Yeah. So, so Zizek goes on. He says, he says he therefore needed to make the next step to reject this form of bourgeois subjectivity itself and join the working class. I'm sorry. What does that mean? How do you, how does he just join the working class? Yeah. How does he renounce? Yeah. Yeah. How is his like pure, empty, negative subject to now take on a new positive content of a working class identity? A working class I think, subject. I think he. I think he runs up against his own articulation of the three aspects of the universal. There's the first criticism of it that. Uh, oh yeah. So there's the Cartesian articulation of it. That is, it's it's just a empty subject. Then there's the critical, the critical lens of the of the universal that is Marxist and feminist that says mm-hmm. the the universal position is is inherently biased for. Uh, in one in one position, the bourgeois subject; in another position, the male subject, or whatever, mm. whatever. Then there's the parallax rearticulation of the universal that it's that it's involved in a kind of exception. Yeah, maybe um, this is where Zizek would disagree with his with his prior writings, right? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like he wouldn't necessarily make the same claim now. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, I, I, I read that and I was like, no, I mean, it's not even an example of what he's talking about. No, he just took a little pot shot, but I guess maybe we can, we can sum up our, sum up the, the episode here. Joe made a finish on my joke. Yeah. Uh, what's the difference between a woman who leaves a church and a woman who leaves a bathhouse? One leaves with a beautiful soul full of hope and the other leaves with a beautiful hole full of soap. <laughs> is there any way we want to land the conversation? Or is the joke, does the joke suffice? I guess, I guess basically we should end on this notion of the negation of the negation. The beautiful soul has to, has to relinquish its, its claim to its own beautiful sacrifice for the world, right? Because then it's just holding on to this, to this status as be, being a victim and, being, and, and needing to sacrifice themselves. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, ultimately, in either case, something would need to be done about the situation. Like there's no, like being a victim is not, doesn't point you to any direction itself. It just, it just maintains the system as it is. Yeah, and it goes back to where we started, I guess, like the, yeah. you know, the world, morally speaking and politically speaking, demands uh, one dirty their hands. And if everyone is just stuck in this dynamic of preserving their own feeling of their purity, then nothing happens. Yeah. Which is why I I guess as a response, you know, universalist politics needs to be, needs to be emphasized. Yeah. And uh, I think that's as good a place to end it guys. Uh, Thanks for talking. Uh, Zizek and so on. Peter, Will, Michael, no Jacob. Uh, Q, uh, Beautiful Soul by Jesse McCartney. No heart of gold. I had no idea what that picture was when in the chat. But then oh, no, I'm gonna put that song. Did you listen to it? Because it's fucking hilarious. No, I didn't listen to it, <laughs> it but I, I typed in "Beautiful Soul" on YouTube, and I was like, "Oh, there's there's actually surprisingly little on YouTube about the Beautiful Soul." Yeah, there's like nothing. Also, Google yeah. Scholar, all, yeah. all the little places I usually it's interesting. go. Yeah, um, but I I just think it's such a good concept for for seeing through people's uh, self-aggrandizing purity bullshit. Yeah. Because it's fucking rife, man. Like so many people have this, have this feeling that like, I'm just going to preserve my own feeling that I'm that, that based on the, based on my feeling of being outside of everything, I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. Yeah. The connection with bad faith is that one, one who lives in bad faith imagines that they are not free doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't doesn't adopt their true they don't they don't recognize that the situation is is always a choice right uh, i mean could you say that beautiful so like, soul is yeah. just bad faith could you say that i i kind of think it is that was my initial like connection i searched the internet and there's kind of nothing on it <laughs> which is surprising i searched beautiful soul bad faith and there was literally no results about it because the position of Bad, I think they're both based on the refusal to to see the contradiction in their status as uh, like the character that they've laid out for themselves in the world. That like their their position is grounded in the fact that they that they seek to preserve for themselves this special area, and yet is in, intimately related with the fact that they can do that for one thing, and then. Also, that really it's just a projection of their own uh, mm-hmm. bad faith or their own 
their inability to recognize their own freedom and their own their own right. how the situation it their situation that they find themselves in has been their choice right, right. yeah because this was like the the difficult conceptual part of all of this right like the forced choice so you have to take into account the objective world and then it's only through your action that you then posit the presupposition of your act mm -hmm. did you guys uh, maybe that was in sublime object or something i read heaps for this one the first result for beautiful soul bad faith is still <laughs> that fucking video for me Another pretty face. I don't want just anyone to hold. I don't want my love to go to waste. I want you and your beautiful soul. I know that you are something special. To you, I'd be always faithful. I want you and your beautiful soul You're the one I want to change 